0: Welcome to here for the Health of It podcast. I'm Dr. Randy here with Dr. Tom. Um, thanks everyone for listening. We've been having some great guests lately. We've had great feedback from you guys and we have another great guest today. We have Taylor Hunt. You are a real estate agent with Keller Williams. You're the CEO of is it what's it Taylor Hunt? The Taylor Hunt home Group The Taylor Hunt Home Group uh, and you've sold a ton of houses in South Carolina. You've only been here for three years. It sounds like since 2020, yes. but since you've been here, you've kind of taken the real estate world by storm, and I think with a big focus on the military world too.
1: Yeah, so I'm a military spouse. I work with a ton. I'm a military spouse. I work with a ton of military families, um, and a lot of relocations in general. A lot of my business comes from agents across the country who may have people moving here or live here and need to sell so um it's very relational so a ton of military and just a ton of people moving in and out
0: it's tough being military because you have to buy a house and then you might have to move in two or three years so you're just hoping the market is good in those two or three years that you're there
1: yes and i have had people who have had really good results and then people who just kind of break even never anybody that has lost money But the cool thing is, is that you can rent it out and the VA who produces the VA loan product will allow you to buy multiple properties with a VA loan. So you don't, it's not like you have to sell. but you can, yeah. Yeah.
0: Can you talk us through the VA loan stuff?
1: Yep. So the way it works is that the VA gives you what is called entitlement. So they give you a certain amount of money and it depends on exactly where you are, where you are in your career, where you are location wise. And let's just say, you know, it's a million dollars. If you buy two $500,000 properties, you've used all of your entitlement. So in order to be able to use that VA loan again, you kind of have to offload. But if you're somewhere like Columbia, you can easily buy, you know, a quarter of a million dollar property, and you can do it again and again and again.
0: And is it at zero percent interest?
1: No. So you don't have to pay a down payment, but you still that's what it is. Yeah, you still have interest, but you don't have to pay a down payment. And there are some non allowable costs that VA loans have too.
2: And, you could, and they can use it for investment properties?
1: Not outright. So okay. you can't buy it and say, I'm going to buy this house and immediately put a rental right. in it. And a lot of people think that you have to live in it for a certain amount of time, but VA loan guidelines actually don't restrict how long you have to be the primary resident of that property. So let's say that you moved into your home and then a year later you get orders and you have to leave you can then turn it into a rental. So it really is a good way to house house. Right. You can buy uh, duplexes or triplexes with it. No and kidding. so you can live in one and rent out the other.
2: How big will they let them go? Like, say they wanted a 12-plex or no. 8-plex. It's I like think it's more. Four or less?
1: Yeah, I think it's four or less. and then. Um, but I have actually have clients who have purchased a home with their VA loan, and within 10 months, needed to purchase another home with their va loan because they have some sort of um, reason like a valid excuse maybe for example they took in their in-laws and they've bought a two-story house and all the bedrooms are on the second floor but their in-laws can't walk upstairs right so now they have a need for a property that has a bedroom on the main floor and that has worked to allow them to buy two houses within a year
2: so is that, let's, let's talk about that. I feel like there's some secrets there that that are the unwritten rules of how to basically use the VA loan as an investing vehicle yes. that nobody really knows about.
1: The best way that you can do it without being unethical is to purchase it, actually make it your primary residence, and then turn it into a rental. However, it goes through an underwriting process, so you have to be careful about what you do because it has to make sense, right? If you buy a house in Columbia because you're stationed at Fort Jackson, you live in it for a year, and then you turn around and you want to buy another house five miles away, you have to be able to prove to the underwriter why you're buying the second house. Gotcha. Now, if you were buying a house here in Columbia because you're stationed at Fort Jackson and then you get orders to Fort Liberty in Fayetteville – and that happens within a year, you can definitely buy another house with your VA loan in Fayetteville, North Carolina, because you are moving, right? So logistically it makes sense for you to buy another house, but it can be done. It can just be a little tricky, but I would say the best way to do it is to go from duty station to duty station. And as long as you're going to be there for at least a year, keep buying houses and offloading them when you need to, or converting them into a different loan type if you ever needed to. A lot of people don't use it as much as they should. But right. They should. Sure. It's an investment property with no it. down payment.
0: Yeah. Well, the appraisal process is a whole nother section section too that we can talk about. But I, in twenty twenty I sold my house and there was a few people that were bidding on it. Obviously the real estate market was crazy. But we had a a couple who was coming from the military from Alaska who was going to buy the house and there was other bids on it too. So it was close, but I said if someone from the military wants it, like they get first option. And so it went through, but then the person who came in and appraised it, I guess, is notorious in the VA for lowballing it. And th- I think thinking that he's doing a good thing for people, keeping the appraisal price low. But then this poor family lost the house at the last minute. And it, I mean, I didn't love it, but then it was just went to the next offer and it was fine. Yeah. But I felt like I just felt bad because this couple of his family who wanted this house couldn't get it just because the appraiser came in at $30,000 under market value.
1: Right so there is one appraiser here who is VA certified who is notorious for it I mean so for bad For sure the guy that I got Oh I'm sure so I can I bet you it is <clears throat> I, we don't um, want to put him on
0: blast. Though. No, that's
1: okay. <laughs> I um, I even see it written in contracts sometimes that if he is selected as the VA appraiser for the file, the sailors have the right to unilaterally cancel the contract because it's so bad. Right. So his
0: name is getting put into oh, contracts.
1: It's terrible because he's terrible. Um, I don't. That's think, insane. Yeah, yeah, it is bad, and I don't. And I think he. If you were to Google his name, he has bad reviews as a landlord, as an appraiser, I mean, as everything that he does. And so I do think sometimes people think they're doing, you know, the veteran a favor. But the best thing you can do for the veteran is give them a smooth process. I right. mean They because, have to go look
0: for a house now after right. three months of being through the process.
1: I agree. And I there's a stigma on VA loans. A lot of people like to say that they notoriously come in low or they're stricter than a conventional loan. And they are. They can be more strict in terms of the condition of the home. I mean, it has to pass VA loan guidelines. But I don't think They tend to come in lower than any other loan type. I just think during COVID, it happened a lot more because houses were selling so fast and they were selling for ridiculously high prices Mm -hmm. due to bidding wars that it was a little bit harder for VA loan appraisers to keep up with, in my opinion, because there's only so many that are certified to do it. So it, it just makes it a little bit more difficult.
0: And housing prices are seem like they're coming down now.
1: I think they um, are steady or declining depending on the neighborhood. It all totally depends on the exact neighborhood. What I think is going to happen, though, is interest rates are coming down from the 8% that they were at. And we're in this sweet spot where it's the holiday season. Sellers are Nobody sells their house at Christmas because they want to. They tend to do it because they have to or because right. it's the most convenient time. And so, if somebody is selling their house right now and it hits that 30-day mark, they start to panic. And they're like, I've got to sell my house. You know, I'll take a lower offer. And because rates are higher than they were in 2022, there's not as many buyers that are out there. But the statistic is that for every 1% that rates go down, 5 million more buyers come into the market. So, when rates continue to drop, which I believe that they will in 2024, I think that it'll create more competition in our market. I don't think we'll be where we were in 2020 or 2021, but I think it'll pick up a little bit.
0: That's why it's wild to think 5 million more people because there's already yeah, what feels like a lack of inventory on the market right now.
1: It is insane. I mean, we do not have a ton of inventory right now. So you would think that that would cause houses to sell a little bit faster. But when you're in that 250 to 350 price point, in my opinion, your house is probably kind of average, and there's probably not a ton that is super remarkable about it that makes it stand out. So those houses take a little bit longer to sell unless there is something remarkable. The cheaper properties go faster because more people can afford them, and the luxury properties, if marketed correctly, will go fairly quickly too, Um but as long as the, I mean it has to be priced right and marketed correctly for any house, but that, that spot of that, you know, two fifty to three fifty average home buyer price point, they're sitting on the market a little bit.
0: So the frustration that people were going through in twenty twenty, where there would be ten people that bid, we had people from California, New York coming mm-hmm. in bidding fifty thousand dollars over asking price with no contingencies, all cash. It was crazy for a while. If you lived here, you couldn't buy a house because so many people were moving here.
1: Right, not happening.
0: It's not happening now. So, nope. what's the what's the typical home buyer looking like right now?
1: The typical home buyer is getting some sort of seller concession, or they are getting money off of what the asking price is. Um, not always, you know. There are still multiple offer situations, but far and few between. I would mm-hmm. I would say, in my experience. Every buyer that I have, we are able to negotiate some sort of concession for them. Even if it's just a little bit, we're able to do something. Whereas two years ago, impossible. Yeah.
0: So if you were to buy in Columbia right now, and I know some people that are thinking about moving to Columbia, what areas are you taking them to first, either for the price point or either for what you think is in the future is going to do really well?
1: I think it depends a lot on... The purpose, right? Like, are you buying here because you have a job? Because commute time, all of that has a little bit to do with it. I really like this area over in Northeast Columbia, kind of in the Elgin area off of Exit 82, yeah. where they're putting up that Publix. They have that Starbucks. I just purchased a townhome over there for investment purposes because I think that that area is going to get built up quite a bit. I also think the Blythewood area is great because of the motor company that's coming in. Yep. Um Anywhere near Fort Jackson, in my opinion, is going to be good for an investment property, downtown, the Shandon area, all of that. Um, Also, if you get over into Lake Murray, near Chapin, I think those are great areas, too. But anywhere that you can kind of guarantee that people are going to be looking for rentals, right? And with us being such a big military hub, I think Elgin is a great area because you're kind of in that middle zone between Shaw Air Force Base and Fort Jackson. And that's why I bought where I did. Mm-hmm. I kind of followed that Starbucks rule where if you're within a certain radius of Starbucks, yeah. it's probably a good place because they've already done all the research needed to make it seem like a yeah, profitable place. Yeah, especially
0: Starbucks,
2: right? Yep. Yeah. And that's Starbucks that Starbucks
0: is my favorite one in the city. Yeah, I it's like so it. It's so nice, so new, big.
1: Yeah, I like it too. I, I just bought um, a townhome in the Liberty Ridge community right across the street and I have it rented out. Yeah,
2: yeah. Sweet. Now, first of all, tell us where you're from because that accent... It's just
1: unique. So I'm from North Carolina, southeastern North Carolina, Robeson County. Um, If you're ever going to Raleigh um, or Fayetteville, you pass right through it. My husband and I are Native American. We are from the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina. What? And that accent is pretty distinct from that tribe.
2: No kidding. Do you have Native American names? No. Really?
1: Yep. Nope. So You don't
2: request? I would have requested that right away. (laughs) What about animals? Nope. Nothing? Like a flower or a weapon?
1: Nope. Not our tribe. Every tribe is a little bit different, but we do not do that. Feathers? Feathers are very symbolic, but I don't have one particular to me. I've been gifted eagle feathers, which is a really good thing. You know, yeah. if somebody gives you an eagle feather, it's a big sign of respect. You know, you've done something to earn it. So, great. I,
0: my great aunt was Native American, and she... I I think she was an artist, but she gave me the animal of a jackrabbit.
2: Nice. Hi, <laughs> <That> so <laughs> Jack. We got to look I, up jackrabbits I don't know. There I, is.
0: And I think my youngest brother Corey was a cottontail bunny. Oh my goodness! I'm gonna
1: have to look that up.
0: Yeah, we got to find out the we got to find the symbolism
2: on that. Now, so you're, you're both of so you're you guys grew up. It's a small town. Mm-hmm, very small. High school together, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. And then, were you guys high school sweethearts?
1: So we dated in high school. Oh, boy.
0: Yes. You gave it's she real a complicated. She was a little <laughs> <Yeah>. wincey. <probably. laughs> we
1: dated in high school, and then we went to college together, and it was very much a situation ship. Nice. You know? And then he commissioned with the Army and left, and we reconnected. And after we reconnected, we were engaged in, like, five months, and I moved to Columbia. Wow. So my hometown has a university there. It was the first university that ever allowed American Indian people to have higher education. So I went there for undergrad and grad school. He did two uh, for undergrad. And then he left out of their ROTC program. And I stayed back and worked at the university for a couple years before I moved.
2: Wow. And so was that your, so that's what I want to hear is kind of the audience to hear your story. I was looking through some of your Instagram on just three years ago, you were working, just making $40,000. Right. And then now I saw that you, your numbers went to $1.2 million in three years. So can you, yeah, tell us what you were doing before and like, how did you make the decision to start on this journey and how fast everything's happened?
1: Yep. So I used to work in higher education as an admissions counselor. So I recruited uh, students to come to the university and I moved because I got engaged And COVID happened, and because of the pandemic, a lot of state budgets were frozen. So there wasn't an opportunity for me to do that here at USC. So I decided to get my real estate license because some people told me to, and I thought, gosh, I'm never going to be good at this. Maybe I'll just sell 10 houses. And then every time the Army moves us, I'll just go somewhere else and sell another 10 houses every year, you know, match my husband's salary. I found out I was pregnant with my two and a half year old the day of my exam. I don't know why I took one test before the other, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. And I found out I was pregnant. And I think that that kind of initiated that drive. You know, it's not enough for me to be so par because I have a kid that's going to look up to me and that, you know, I can really change your life. So my first year, I sold my first home in February of 2021. I had a baby in March of 2021. And then I sold 28 homes that year. And then the next year... I hired a babysitter as my first hire <laughs> because I needed help. <laughs> yeah. I did the whole first year with a newborn and postpartum anxiety and no help and it's terrible. So the second year I sold eighty six homes and this is my third year and I should end the year around hundred and fifty houses or so. That's
2: unbelievable.
0: Wow. Well, for reference, how much or how many does a normal quote unquote average realtor sell in a year?
1: Um they say that most agents cannot do more than about 30 houses by themselves. The average agent probably does less than that. I mean, most agents don't even make it. But the average agent who, you know, has been in the business for a few years, I would say is probably doing 15 houses a year. That's what
2: I was thinking. Like one a month, somewhere yeah, in there, is, seems like you're, it's still really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, depending on your price point. Especially if you're an agent who does maybe some luxury. I have some friends who I like, for example, I have a girl in Florida. She sold $40 million worth of real estate last year and it was like 10 houses houses or or something. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of insane. Um, The higher your price point, you know, the less you have to do. But yeah, I I will end the year at about 150. My goal was to do 100 and my gross commission will be about 1.2, 1.3 and obviously you know taxes right. and expenses but not too bad
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, it's really good so i guess with that that's every 3 days is that you're like closing a house
1: yes and sometimes you know there are some months that are stronger than others so my lowest month this year i sold 4 in a month my yeah. highest i sold 23 dang so that was a that was crazy
2: what does that look like cuz i like i guess give us your day and how you keep all of that organized that's a lot
1: well i do not do it alone i would never ever want to do it alone i have a lot of assistance. so i have a virtual assistant i have a transaction coordinator and then my husband because we do not want to move again switched over from active duty to the reserves so he is more available to help now too um i have never really had the best routine so my first year, you know, I didn't have any help, so I was just kind of doing it between naps yeah, with my baby. Right. And then the second year, when I hired childcare, I only had six hours a day, so I just kind of jam packed everything I could in those six hours. So I'm trying to get out of the habit of that. Now I have more like a from nine to twelve, I'm at my computer doing work. After twelve, we have appointments where I go and actually do things. Um, I go. I try to go to every closing, unless I can't, like unless I'm out of town. So I try to go to every closing. They only take an hour. Right. I don't really show houses anymore. I used to show all my houses, but I've since hired a showing partner who does all the showings for me, and that takes a lot off my plate. So, you know, still very involved in the transaction, but just kind of have somebody who opens doors and facilitates that. But I probably work at least 50 hours a week, if not more. I mean, I'm always working. I get up early and work. I work late at night after my daughter's asleep. I'm at my desk all day. If I'm not at my desk, I'm out in the field always.
0: Yeah. That's is it, amazing. Is it marketing a lot?
1: Yeah. So it's a lot of marketing, but it's also a lot of putting out fires and answering phone calls. So I have probably on average 20 people under contract at one time at any given time. And I'm the resource for them. If they need something, they call me. If they need something, they text me. So I'm constantly juggling all the parts. Right. Um and answering the questions and you know just kind of serving as that person. It is that on top of marketing because the only way that I get leads is through online marketing. I don't pay for them. I don't cold call, I don't door knock. So I do online marketing and you know other efforts like that and then it's also lead generating. So I have an influx of people who call me and they're ready to buy or sell. And so every single day I have to sit down and look at my system and see, okay, who do I need to follow up with today? Right. And that can easily take 2 hours of my day if I just sit and do it straight. So I can't I can't do that every I can't do that much every day because I would have no time for anything else. But I check in the system that we have allows me to know who is the priority versus who do I need to reach out to every 30 days.
0: Wow. I yeah, it's just so many houses to keep track of and I know that some of the buyers are super picky and probably text you constantly asking you questions or they're sending you zillow yes. is that a big thing now they're just constantly yes. texting you zillow and realtor.com yep. listings
1: so what i do is i always non-negotiable have a buyer consultation we call it a buyer strategy session where we sit down and go over the market the process what you need are we a good fit because i got to make sure you're a good fit for me too right mm. um all money is not good money if i know that you are going to cause me to pull my hair out i might not want to work with you And, um, I've, it took me a long time to get to that point, but now I feel that way. So we have a buyer consultation and then I tell them that I have a showing partner and I introduce them that way. And then after they get pre-approved, we, um, get in a group text. And so anytime they want to see a house, I instruct them just send it into the group. And between me and my showing partner, we'll send them everything they need and set up a showing. And so some people are really picky, but you know, rightfully so it's a, For most people, it is going to be the biggest investment they ever make. And I can understand when I buy property, I feel the same way. I get, you know, a little nervous even though I do it every day. But the problem becomes when people are not nice. So I can deal with Peaky. might, you know, get on my nerves sometimes. (laughs) I can deal with that. I do not do well with attitude. Right. But some people feel like they are entitled to treat you anyway because you're, you know, they've hired you, which is not the
2: case. Right. Which, what, you know, it,
1: I'll yeah, easily yeah. say, I don't think we're a good fit. We probably shouldn't work with each other.
2: <laughs> well, I guess that's, that brings me to this question. Like, what makes us as buyers annoying? Because we we work with one realtor, Penny uh, Broach, and her daughter, and we think we're her best. I mean. I love them. Yeah. Penny and Brittany. Yeah, Penny and Brittany. Wonderful. So we think we're for sure her best buyers. Like, we're always, you know, they're having fun. We're, you know, we're asking good <laughs> questions. We're showing up the properties on time. Um, but we don't know. We might be the annoying guys.
0: We're the cra- She told us we're the craziest.
1: I think it's why well, it's I don't know if that's good. <laughs> that might be good. I don't know. <laughs> What's well, tough for me is when people are unrealistic. When yeah. I say, um, When they say to me, I want to buy a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-car garage house for $150,000, and I say, that is not happening, and then you don't believe me. Right. Or when there's no trust, you know, when you just do not trust me to do my job and you uh, second-guess everything I say to you, that's tough for me because it's almost as if, you know, I want to say, why did you even hire me if you don't trust me? You know, we're not perfect, and I don't think any real estate agent is perfect. What makes them good is when they – are wrong or they don't know and they they openly say, you know, I don't know that, but I will find out for you or I messed up here. This is how I'm going to fix it. But people who are um, mean or they're unreliable, you know, they don't work with you. It's a a two-way street. If you want to get to closing, then I need you to do your part. Sometimes people are not that way and sometimes they just do not trust you no matter what you do.
2: Do you like like random texts and things like that where it's like we just saw see a house and just get a random text and that's okay? I'm okay
1: with that. So I always send properties to my buyers to either like manually or through an automated system. Um, But I'm happy when people send me property that they want to see because that means that I have an opportunity to sell a house. Nice. Happy to do that.
2: Now, did you have any mentors or did, did a lot like were you just kind of in your own world on this? This is just, it's still wild to me to to do what you just did.
1: You know, my first year, I would say I kind of flew solo. I had help from my brokerage and my broker. I learned a lot from my office, but it wasn't until year two that I really realized there's so much that I have to learn. Um, I followed people on Instagram and watched, you know, how they built their business and learned kind of virtually. But I was so overwhelmed during my first year. I did not have a lot of time to really learn like I should have. I was in the air flying the plane trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. at the same time. So during my second year, I hired a coach. She's not local to the area but within my overall brokerage. And I started networking more. And I try to put myself in rooms with people that I really want to be like and learn from them because I think one of the best things about being a good agent is being coachable. And like you don't know it all and you're not always right so how can you learn more to be better
0: so i want to talk about the first time that you met us that <laughs> you don't well we didn't or no we her. didn't even meet you we, we met, met your, your husband.
1: husband yeah i remember
0: it, it was an evening i got tom's wife megan texted me hey i need help moving a peloton
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh treadmill out of someone's house i guess it's upstairs in a really difficult place to get it out of it was and showed up and you, I mean your husband was great but was the place pissed. that he put it was insane
1: I know so I know so we had literally just moved into that house and I bought him that as a present and he was like I'm gonna sell this and I said how rude I bought that for you he said I don't use it we can sell it I said okay whatever so I was in the room probably pouting mad that he was selling it because I had just bought it as a gift
0: and meanwhile Tom's out there taking the door your your garage door <laughs> off the hinges
2: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: He is that so the old. house you're still in right now? Yes. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, when we showed up
2: there, your husband's massive, number one, in a good way. Yeah. Like, guy is thick. Yeah. And he moves weights. I know. Randy, like, instantly
0: had a crush yeah. him. They started talking we bonded about His goal about was to big bench muscles. press,
2: like, 300, and your husband does that regularly.
0: Yeah, he actually did give me, no, 315 is my goal.
2: He's going to love
1: this conversation. Yeah. And, and I never let me. I mean, I immediately
0: he was, was unforgettable. Just, yeah. I just wanted to know all his tips. He gave me some good tips. And um, we, yeah. So when we ended up going, we put our kids too. We He was so <laughs> encouraging too. He's he like, dude, you're going to do this. You're going to make it. I, like, I left there like, yeah, I'm doing this.
1: He's great. That's what he does for me in yeah. my career. You know, he's like, you can do it. He's a hype man. Yeah,
0: he is. You need that.
2: That's, I mean. So we go upstairs and we we take apart everything and then yeah I think you might have been in bed you might have been sleeping because we didn't end up meeting you that night yeah
1: I was uh, hidden away somewhere I might have been working but Problem. I just remember being in a bad mood because I thought how rude of you to sell this Peloton <laughs> right. that and I my wife was
2: hunting the internet for that she like told it, it me. just popped up and she was so happy
1: yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we could make you guys happy.
2: And we haven't, no, we haven't used it that much.
1: <laughs> that's what she told me.
2: <laughs> so we got to start using it more. That's uh, what she
1: told me. You're going to be just like us in a year selling it. Yep.
2: Yeah. We'll see. We took down the door. There was some, I mean, it was, there a was little grease worry, so. everywhere. We're just, yeah, the hinges are all coming off. I ended up wiping down your walls because <laughs> there was grease. I mean, it was,
1: you got to do what you got to do. It was mm-hmm. tough to get it in there too, but we had movers who did that, so we didn't have yep. to do it. Yeah.
2: That's Yep. It. Nice. Now, I guess with with the social media side of it, because I'm we're curious about that and, and how you, what what are your tips and tricks? in, in is it applicable to other businesses? Yeah, a hundred percent. tell us about that.
1: So I think the first thing you have to do is get very very clear on who your avatar is. Who's your client avatar? Who do you really want to work with? You know, are they women? Are they moms? Are they you know men? Whatever the case may be. You have to figure out what their problems are.
0: Well, how can you talk about the avatar? How do you even figure out who the avatar is? Or what was the process you went through?
1: Yeah, so you got to figure out what problem you can solve. What is your skill set? What problem can you solve? And who would have this problem? So for me currently, it is I'm really good at being a real estate agent who does more than the average, right? And who uses social media to do that. So I am talking to online every day people who are the opposite who are not good at it, who are struggling in this market, who need some help. Um, When I started my career, I was the agent who was a military spouse and who understood how it felt to move from one state to the other without being there, who knew the VA loan, and so my... My avatar was a military family moving to the area. They've just gotten orders, and they are completely lost, and they need someone to guide and direct them. So then I step in, and I give you all the information you need, and now I'm the best person in the world because I've made this problem not a problem for you. So I think anybody who has a business and they want to use social media to market their business has to figure out what problem they solve, what they're really good at, what they could talk about all day long. And then their content has to speak directly to the person who has that problem that needs solving. And then you've got to do it every day. So I don't miss a day. Where some agents would cold call for three hours every morning, I get on Instagram once a day. I post stories. I post stuff in my feed. I share things that get engagement, tips and tricks. Um, For a long time, my focus was clients like I used my Instagram to find buyers and sellers now it is caters more to agents than anything else and so a lot of my business still comes from social media but because I've been able to build up such a large um, sphere around me that I didn't have when I first moved here I get repeat clients I get referral clients we really love on our clients so we host four events a year Even more than that, we do giveaways. We do all sorts of stuff. So they just keep coming back to us and then tell everybody that they know. But social media has definitely been the catalyst for what has. And it's not just Instagram. It's also Facebook and communities within Facebook and kind of creating those communities for yourself or being actively involved in Facebook groups. TikTok, too. I mean, all the same content. Are you dancing at all? Are you doing any? No. You're not doing any dances? No, I don't do that.
2: I mean, I guess with that, are you on Instagram, let's say, are you answering questions? Are you giving tips or are you, is it more like just life stuff too? Like, yeah.
1: So it's a balance. So when I first started, I was very authentic in the fact that I'm a new mom, I'm a new real estate agent, and I'm just trying to make it through the day. And I think a lot of military spouses related to that because oftentimes, you know, their partner, if they're not working, their partner is the sole provider. They are gone all day long. They're sitting at home with kids, most likely, and they're just trying to not pull their hair out. And so that's how I feel all day, yeah. you know, just trying to make it through. And then on top of that, I was starting a career. So I would share, you know, the fact that I have my daughter with me at inspections or closings or in the backseat crying while I'm trying to do a showing. And I think people really like to see that, and they root for you because yeah. they, they like you. They want to see you
0: win. That's good. Do you find that you have a lot of people who want to be your friend after you work with them?
1: Yeah, I do. I get, um, you know, sometimes I don't want to be their friend. Sometimes (laughs) there are are definitely people who I'm like, let's take them right out of our database (laughs) so that we don't have to accidentally call them. Um, But very far and few between. I mean, I have a lot of clients that we communicate regularly. You know, we follow each other online. Um, Sometimes people will... I wear pink a lot and all of my branding is pink. So sometimes I have clients who will send me things when they're out shopping and they think about no me. No kidding. And so I I hang out with my clients too. I mean, I don't have a lot of time to do it, but when I do, you know, I make it a point to be their friend and their resource too. And I also have a lot of clients who will say things like, you inspire me to be a better woman, a better spouse, a better, you know, career person. Yeah. And um, that's always pretty cool to hear.
2: Yeah, Nice. What do you put clients' names in your phone? Like, do you put, like, Joe with a crooked nose and likes <laughs> blue houses? Or
1: um, No, I I do save their numbers. It is the other agents on the other end of the deal that I save their numbers as weird stuff, usually the address yeah. of the property Yeah. because I can't remember their name. Right. And then after we go under contract, I hand the contract off to my transaction coordinator, so she's normally the one communicating with the other side. But clients, I, I tend to to save their number. So now when they when they are tough and I really don't want to work with them again and they may feel the same way about me, I just delete it and just
2: just get it out of there. Just
1: get it out. Bad vibes.
2: Nice. And then all right, tell us about the assistants again. So you have a virtual assistant. What does that virtual person do and where are, they're not even in the state the United States is my guess. She's in the Philippines. Philippines, yep. I've heard She's good amazing.
1: things. She's amazing. Her name is Jazz.
2: Jazz? Yep. Okay. And she so does what everything. does she do?
1: Everything. She monitors my email every day. She categorizes every email that comes through my email into some sort of category. Yep. She responds when I need her to. If it's urgent, she sends me a screenshot of it so that I'm not constantly checking. She manages my database. So if somebody was to come to me and say, hey, I want to buy a house, I'd say, okay, great. What is your phone number and email address? I send that screenshot to Jazz, and she puts them in our system and you know monitors that entire okay. thing. She tracks our business, so we always know how many we have under contract, how far away are we from our goals, how much money are we making, all the things. She does everything on the back end. She also creates mailers and flyers when we need to send those out. She does everything. And then I have a transaction coordinator who's local. She doesn't work in person, but she lives in Lugoff. And she's also a military spouse, and I love her too. She handles everything from contract to close. Like
2: paperwork and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Okay. She
1: reaches out to every party of every transaction once a week and says, where are we on this? Is there anything that we need to be aware of? Nice. She's very on top of that. And then um, I have a showing partner who is very much in person, who is involved in every buyer transaction. She shows more houses than I do at this point. And um, i kind of indispensable. I don't know what I would do without her. And then I have my husband who is into commercial real estate. He does residential, but he oh, nice. really likes commercial. And he also is stepping into this DOO role where he's going to help. We're growing a team of active agents, so he's going to help with our systems and processes, the logistics, stuff like that.
0: Nice. That's great. You're just going to the moon with this thing.
1: Well, I want to build a business that –
0: Literally, I don't know. Yeah. The moon is – We didn't go to the moon. Oh, yeah. but I want
1: to build a business that doesn't require me to – Be the one every day, you know. That's dealing with the hustle and bustle. So, my goal is to be work optional by 40. That's the goal.
2: Nice. That's
1: that's what I really want to do.
2: Now, do you want to share your age or no? I'm 27. Nice. Nice.
1: I'm pretty young.
0: Have you had any funny things happen? And I asked this because when we were one time with our realtor Penny, she was there was a, a the guy that was at the house had a dog named Penny. And he just kept screaming, shut up, Penny, right in Penny's face. But he was screaming at the dog. And we were just, we were just laughing so hard. And it was just like this constant joke. Because I don't think he knew that her name was Penny. But we would oh, just yeah. be like, oh, man, your dog's really barking. And he like, shut up, Penny. And then he Uh, anyway, so I'm sure there's all like, you see all kinds of people, all kinds of things. I'm sure you show up and there's people at the house when they shouldn't be. I'm sure you walk in and their house is supposed to be cleared out and it's not.
1: 100%. I walked in on an Airbnb tenant one time. The owner approved our showing, but didn't inform the person who was staying there that we were coming. So I walked right in. (laughs) He was cooking breakfast. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm hauling your way. Um, my showing partner just showed a house this weekend that had a squatter in it.
0: Oh, oh no. They,
1: That's scary. Very scary. Um, I walked to a house, I, I walked in a house one time and there was a basement and there was no power in the house. So I just left cause I'm not doing that. Right. I'm not walking in the basement. You never know, you know, especially if it's vacant you have to be safe. There's always stuff. You, it's also on the sailor's end when you walk into a house and somebody wants to sell their house and they're like, we have to have it up in two weeks and it is destroyed, and you're like, there's no way. And they say, well, we can't we can't do anything about it. And so then you have to have the hard conversation of, I cannot list your property in this condition. Right. And that's always hard, too. So it's a mixture of like, wow, I can't believe this happened. That is so hilarious. And wow, I cannot believe
2: that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, what is the sweet spot for sellers? Like, is there a number of bathrooms, a number of bedrooms, a square footage, a... Um, anything that would yeah
1: i mean i think things should be congruent right when you have a three bedroom one bath that's tough when you have a um a six bedroom house with two bathrooms that's tough and you do see that right so those are kind of difficult when you have a five bedroom with a three bathroom that's pretty good right because for the average family that will work out I think it is more so about what you do with the space when you own it. What happens a lot is a lot of people will buy these brand new houses, and then in two years they want to sell their house, and they've not made one single upgrade. Right. So this builder that built your house is five minutes down the road in another community building the same floor plan with the same specs, and it's brand new. And they're selling it for about what you want to sell your house for, so your house can't even compete because you've not done anything to improve it. Right. And that's where it gets hard is people, people don't really take care of their houses like they should, or they don't make an effort to make it better. I I say you should leave things better than you found them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that.
2: Is there a hot price point right now that's just selling like crazy?
1: Anything at two twenty five or below, as long as it's priced right, you know you can be a $180,000 property, but if you are $20,000 overpriced, it will not sell. It doesn't matter how low right. it is as I'm long sure. as it's, you know, when it's priced right, it will really go off the market pretty fast in that price
0: point. And I'm sure the foreclosure world's starting to pick up a little bit.
1: I don't see it a lot. No. I mean, I hear, you know, people ask me about it, but I don't see it a lot. Here's the reason why, because there's so many people who are sitting on these sub 3%. That they just don't want to let go of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you just don't see it a lot. I mean, I see it sometimes when there's been a hardship, but all of these buyers that bought two or three years ago, you know, they were qualified. So for the most part, you know, they could afford it. And plus the monthly payment is so low. So many people just don't want to let go of it. Right. So they keep it, and they pay their bill, and they make it work. And I hear a lot of people say, I never planned to live in this house this long, but how do I move from this house to another house when rates are triple? Right. It makes a huge difference. Oh,
0: yeah. And I heard a statistic that 61% of homes are completely owned, no mortgage.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: That is insane to me. Mm -hmm. Because you would look around and think that most people have a mortgage. It turns out less than half have a mortgage. And then of the, whatever it is, 39% that's remaining, mm-hmm. a massive percentage as a 25 or 3.5% yes. loan.
1: The the gold mine in this market is if you can find an assumable loan. That yeah. is the best yes. opportunity yes. for that's VA buyers, for FHA buyers. If you can find one that you can assume, it is a game changer. The process is kind of annoying. It takes a lot longer to complete, and you have to have more money up front, but... It's totally worth it if it works for you. I mean, I have buyers and sellers right now. I have sellers right now that have 2.75% rates. You are never going to see that again. Right. Never. So if you can capitalize on that, it's the best thing.
0: Yeah. Do you know Pace Morby? No. Oh, he's a big creative finance guy, but he's all about the assumable. So um, too. Su- yeah, mm-hmm. Sub to. Yeah. Subject to. When
1: you can make it work, it really works. Yeah. You just have to be creative.
2: Now, was there something with Zillow? I don't know if it was a lawsuit or something where they were trying to get rid of real realtors' commissions or something because of the that. internet or because of yeah. access to...
1: So there was, um, there was a thing with Zillow where they started publicizing what buyer agents would make on the property. So that was one. And then there was a lawsuit recently where a group of homeowners got together and filed a class action against a few big-name brokerages and basically alleged that they were n- never informed that they had the right to either pay a buyer agent commission or not pay a buyer agent commission oh. They, I think their stance was that they thought they were required to, when really you're not required to.
0: Really? Tell me about that, because I didn't know that.
1: Yep, so sailors <laughs> in our market with our <laughs> listing contracts, the way that it is worded is that a seller will pay X amount of a commission, whatever that percentage is, and then of that, the buyer's agent will make X amount. So really, if you hired me to sell your house, you would pay me, and then I would split that commission with, with whoever brought the buyer, right? Right. And that is clearly outlined in our paperwork. I don't know how it is in every other state, but their allegation was that they were forced to pay a buyer's agent commission. Now, I do not think it's smart to not pay a buyer's agent commission because at the end of the day, we are not supposed to... um, What's the best way to say this? We're not supposed to discriminate, I guess, against properties that have a lower commission that we would make if we were representing the buyer, but... The truth of it all is that a lot of first-time buyers do not have the money to pay a buyer's agent commission. You know, if a buyer comes to me and says, I only have $8,000 to spend, and I say, okay, well, my commission is X percent, whatever that is, if the sellers do not pay that, then you're going to be required to pay it. And if you don't pay it, then I can't work for you. And the buyers find this home online and they really like it, but the sellers refuse to pay me. They're most likely going to say, well, I don't have the money to pay you, but I still want to work with you, so we'll just find another house. The other problem is that with VA loan products, they are not legally allowed to pay a buyer agent commission. So if I'm working for a VA loan buyer and they go out and find a for sale by owner and that for sale by owner says, I'm not paying any agent commissions, but my buyers still want to have representation, which they should, I can't help them because I can't work for free. Right. So that's where it gets
2: a little tricky. I always wondered about that for sale by owner and how all that stuff works if there's a real so it
1: So if you sell your house and you don't list it with a real estate agent and you just put a sign in the yard and put it on Zillow, you can still pay a buyer's agent. You know, if if somebody sees that house and they have representation, you as the owner can still choose to pay a buyer's agent. You're not required to, but you can. And I think in your, it's probably in your best interest, to. I think it's in anybody's best interest to have their own representation on a transaction. I mean, and I don't even... We have different types of agency, and one of them is called dual agency, where I can represent both the buyer and the seller in a real yeah. estate transaction. I don't even do that. I can, but I don't, because I don't know how I can be your fiduciary if I also have to be the fiduciary for the seller.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So.
1: I think that if we ever got to a point, which I don't think we ever will, if we ever got to a point to where buyer agent commissions were just not being paid and buyers went directly to a seller, directly to their agent, it would be very um, much a disadvantage for the buyer because who do they have in their corner? You know? Right. Nobody.
2: Right. right. Typically, so the closing costs typically go to the buyer.
1: So a buyer or the has seller? their closing costs, and then a seller has their own closing costs. Okay. There's The best word for them, I think, is a transaction fee. Gotcha. So the buyers have transaction fees. The sellers have transaction fees. They're just different. When you buy a house, your transaction fees look like insurance, lender fees, things like that. When you sell a house, the majority of your transaction fees are commissions because you're paying to have the the entire transaction to be facilitated by an attorney, by a real estate agent. Each time you have to pay property taxes. But in the contract of sale for Columbia... You can ask the sailor to pay a portion of your fees as a buyer.
2: That's what I was wondering. So when it comes to the ne- negotiation game, um, what have you seen any tactics that work well in neg- trying to negotiate a price point to something that you want? So let's say there's a $200,000 house, and you put in an offer. Uh, strategically... Is there a price, and I, and I know it depends on the house and all these different things, but let's just try to run an example. If you put in a, a $175,000 offer, you know that they're typically not going to just be like, yep, great, let's just do the deal. What's the next? So so when they counter, what do you recommend the buyer to then try? You know, Because I've heard yeah. different things, that, and that, one of them was something about closing costs where it was like counter, you know, you move X amount of percentage points closer to them, but you, you put in there that they, they cover all closing costs or something like that.
1: Well, it depends on the situation, and it depends on how much the buyer wants it. What I tell people is, do you want a deal or do you want the house? If you're in a situation where the seller is not budging and you really want a house, then you just got to do what you got to right. do. <clears throat> but there is a book called Never Split the Difference, and yeah. I think that's Chris a good Voss, one. right? I think so. Yeah. I think that's the, a good one because... Um, it really teaches you how to negotiate. The biggest part of negotiating is shutting up and listening to people. Yes. If you just let there be an awkward silence, people will show you their hand. I have um, before been on the seller side, and my go to tactic is when I get an offer that has, let's say, the buyer asking for $10,000 from the seller, my first question to the seller's agent is, why did they make that offer? You know, was there a specific reason why they asked for $10,000? And you just sit there and you be quiet and you let it be awkward because they're probably going to tell you. And so I've, I've had this specific situation where the buyer's agent says, you know, they just wanted to, and I told them the seller probably wouldn't accept it. So if you need to counter back at us, you can, I'm sure they'll just take whatever you can. (laughs) And so then I think if I was that buyer, I would be pissed because you did not help me at all. So then I go back to my seller and I say, they want the house so bad, they'll do whatever it takes. So let's just counter back, you know, maybe we'll give them $2,000, but you know, whatever the case may be. So. I don't think there's a specific formula. I do think that if you are in a position where you can just flat out say no, that's the best thing you can do. You have to have an agent who knows how to um, have a good relationship with the person on the other side, ask the right questions, listen for the right answers, get an idea of what the other person's motivation is, and then use it all to your advantage. And if they come back to you, you know, on either side and they counter, if you are prepared to say no, you just say no. You don't split the difference. You don't change Unless you really, really want the house or you really, really need to sell. You just say no and see what happens.
2: Have you seen anything sneaky or like that's good to put in the contract that maybe would help our listeners on like make sure you put this little clause in there? And and I'm thinking about back when it was a hot market. There was a clause that you could put in that would say I put I will pay whatever, a $1,000 over asking price or over right. the highest bid when it came down to the bidding thing. Yeah. So it kind of automatically gave it to you if your price point was pretty flexible.
1: Right. So that is called an escalation clause. And if you're in a multiple offer situation, it can be a really good idea because yeah. you don't necessarily need to know the highest offer. You just need to be able to be better than it. So right. you can make a very clean offer and say, I'm not going to ask you for anything, but I really want this house, so whatever offer you get, a $1,000 over. But you have to be careful. You have to say, and we have to have proof of the higher offer. Right. Right, because what what would stop people from saying, oh, I got this offer, now you got to pay more. Yeah. I think that any listener needs to make sure that their agents are being meticulous and careful when they write offers or accept them. I have seen people do shady stuff. I've seen agents... Um, Say, we're going to accept your offer and then send back the offer paperwork on a totally different document with things added in there. Right. And if I wasn't careful, I would have just send it to my buyer to well, sign. I, yeah, how do you know that?
2: I always get worried. Like when you do these e-signs, I read 0% of them. I literally click buttons that just say sign, sign, initial. Most
1: people do, but yeah. your agent should be reading it for you. And that's I
2: mean, what I, I, it goes through my mind exactly what you just said. Yeah. They could send me something that says I'm signing everything over to them, and I'm just, yep, 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 yep. yep.
1: I have a lot of clients that trust me that way. That yeah. will just sign. I could write on there, "You're going to give me your firstborn son." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they would just sign it because they don't care. That's not smart. Even yeah. um, <laughs> even if you trust your agent, we make mistakes too. You know, it right. is not uncommon for someone to not see something or to check the wrong box. I mean, it just happens. So, as a consumer, you should be reading, reading it all too. Reading all that, really. But your Ugh. agent should also be making sure that you're covered. And, and a good agent will, and even sometimes, you know, we still can miss things happens.
2: Is there a way to get a summary document that's just the bullet points of, like, this is what you've agreed to in a one-pager?
1: Yeah, you c- I th- if, if your agent will do it for you. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is say, um, can you make sure that, that you've read it? You know, can you give me a summary of what it is we, our final terms are? And that way you know. Right. But um. You know the best thing to do is just to read it. I
0: know. I, well, like, we get it bolded. Ours always have bold. As long as you uh, eye the eye eye- highlights. Yeah. <laughs> I don't read bold. it. Yeah. I, well, it's, so she she highlights anything that's that's
1: important. Important.
0: Yep. So then I just go through the whole thing and just look at the bold things and make sure that that's all right.
1: The important parts require your signature and your initial, right? So, like anything that is very very important, it should be that you have to pause and actually sign something. So that is your indication that this is. Probably yes. Important. I think it's important to make sure that a couple things are in place. Like you should always have an appraisal contingency, unless you just don't care what the house appraises for. But that appraisal contingency covers you if the house doesn't appraise for whatever you're trying to pay for yeah. it. Whether it's a cash deal or not, I mean, you can still choose to have an appraisal if you want to. The financing contingency covers you if you suddenly lose your source of income and can no longer qualify for the loan. Inspection contingency is very important, too. You want to retain the right to ask for repairs. That's not to say that they'll do them, but right. at least you know that the deposit is safe. But there's a little clause in our in our documents that I think a lot of people don't know about. In our contract, it says that the earnest money deposit that you put down, wh- the only way for you to get that back if the contract falls apart is for all parties to sign a release So even if you're within your allotted time, if the other party does not sign the release, you're not getting that money back. It's going to sit in this escrow um, account until all parties can come to a resolution. It's the stupidest thing because even when it's black and white, it doesn't matter because that little clause is in there that says the only way to get that earnest money back is if all parties agree where it goes.
2: Is that something that can be taken out?
1: No. I mean, I mean. You could always scratch it out and write something at the bottom, but it's like a permanent thing. It's not something that you check a box for. It just is what it is. Um, There is verbiage in there that says, you know, if you're within your allotted time period for your inspections, the buyer gets that money back. Okay. But then there's also a clause that says it doesn't matter. You have to have all signatures.
2: Yeah, because if the seller just says, I'm not, nope, I'm keeping it
1: but and then the sailor wouldn't get it either. It would just kind of be in limbo. Oh, it So it's stay. not like you get it. Oh, it's okay. not like, you know, if they don't sign it, they automatically get it. It just stays where it is at until all parties can Which agree. Which is
0: in the escrow yeah. somewhere? Yeah, the in the escrow. escrow.
1: And it is very counterproductive in my opinion. Yeah. It doesn't make any okay. sense to me.
2: Cuz that did happen. My dad got a uh had a it was a fairly large earnest <laughs> check that the guy ended up backing out of. And I was like, you should be keeping it cuz there was no There was no reason not to. It was past the time. It was this whole nine. And I thought he could just keep it. And he said, no, he couldn't. And it might have been because of that.
1: Yeah, it depends. You know, it depends on exactly what the reason is or, you know, where you are in the contract. Those timelines are so important. So anytime we get a buyer or a seller under contract, we create an under contract timeline PDF. And we send that out and say, these are all the important key dates that you need to be aware of. And then we add it to everybody's calendar. So that you know, you know, this is the hard and fast deadline for this. So there's no excuse because we've seen it to you twice. Um, so there's no reason why you shouldn't know. So, and, and, you know, obviously we keep track of all those things too, but timelines are so crucial and there's so much money at stake normally. So yeah. it's just important that you're on top of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, we ask all realtors this, but have you ever walked into a house where there's some weird stuff, like stripper poles and handcuffs and...
1: No, but I did <laughs> just close on a house recently, and I swear I thought there was cocaine in the backyard. I really? swear to God. I thought it was. The The sailor said that it was baking powder, but um, isn't that what it's called, baking powder? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't think yeah. it. I don't think
2: so. You think it was just like they just it, had it out there? It
1: looked like it had been cooked or something, and no I just kid. thought, hmm, this is interesting. That was what we found on closing day.
2: And then have you ever sold anything weird, like as a part of the house? Like a like throwing a boat, throwing a jet ski, throwing a tree.
1: No, mostly just other personal items. You know, like people will say, "Can I buy a certain furniture?"
2: Curtains, yeah, things yeah. like
1: that. Mm-hmm. Yep. TVs, people want to buy TVs out of yeah, the house and have just so they
2: don't have to remount them and all that.
1: Yeah, yep. usually doesn't go over very well with the seller. They don't really want to give away their TVs, but sometimes, yeah, you never know.
2: Never hurts to ask. Never. Okay. Um, And then I guess I saw you were doing some speaking engagements. Tell us about that.
1: Yep. So I am um, both a real estate agent and a coach. So I teach other agents. I have a coaching program for moms in real estate that we meet every Friday at 1130 and I teach them. I have a couple courses in digital products. Sometimes um, offices around the country will ask me to go teach to their agents. So I do that too. Kind of teach them how to grow their businesses pretty fast, how to use social media effectively, all those things. It's always fun to do, and yeah. it, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty cool to see um, how people across the country that don't know you but follow you right and about you. Yes, it's interesting.
2: Yeah, I guess let's touch on that for a second again. The online marketing lead generation, where is that coming from? If if you're not paying for anything that I guess captures the leads. Is it just straight into your DM? Mm -hmm. Really? It's
1: straight in my DMs. Um, Sometimes I have a little form that you can fill out on my website, so sometimes I get those. I also use lead magnets, so I will share something and say, um, let's just say, here's a buyer's guide or here's a moving to Fort Jackson guide. And then when you download it, I get a copy of your email, so I can reach out to you that way. Um, But a lot of it is very organic, where people reach out to me and say, you know, hey, I want to buy a house and you've been recommended. We see you online. Can you help us? And sometimes it is um, community too. You know, all these neighborhoods, they have Facebook groups. And so sometimes people will get in there and say, who should we have sell our house? And maybe I have clients that live in that neighborhood and they'll say, Taylor is great. You need to use her. And then next thing you know, I've got another client. Yeah.
0: Nice. Sweet. Um, Tell us, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Tell us about your chiropractic story. If oh you're comfortable my God, with it.
1: I'm terrible. So, when I was 16, in my first car, I got in a really bad wreck, flipped the car several times, and so ever since then, I have been like a little glow stick. Like my back hurts terribly, and um, I saw your podcast when you had Brooke on here from mm-hmm. the boutique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's how we connected. And I said, I need a good chiropractor. So I've been to places like the Joint, and you know, it's just kind of one stop type yeah. of thing. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, never works. And then when I saw Brooks podcast episode, that's how I was introduced to you guys. Nice. So ever cool. since then, I've started coming. I think it's been, what, two months or so? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I live here now you know, <laughs> several times a week. Yep. It's a been great. Cut. A how's,
0: yeah, how's it cut been going? For you? Yeah,
1: it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's been great.
0: Yeah, love it. Um, and then any other health routines that you find you... Love? Not the Peloton.
1: Not the Peloton. (laughs) I am terrible. I do not have a good health routine. My husband is the complete opposite of me. Last night, I was eating Chef Boyardee, and he was eating canned chicken, (laughs) and it's just so terrible, but it is one of my things that I want to get better at in the new year because I feel like how can you be your best version of yourself if you neglect that entire part of your life? Mm -hmm. I'm very self-aware that I suck at it. But um, so I don't have any advice for that. I can tell you how to sell a house, but I can't tell you how to be healthy. <laughs> I'm terrible.
2: What do you guys like to do for fun in Columbia? Gosh,
1: um, I personally am a really big homebody. I love to be home, and I think it's because every day I talk to probably about forty people every day, and so I normally in my off time just kind of want to chill out. But because I have a two-year-old, that's not always possible. So you can oftentimes find us at Target because she loves it and she loves to get a cake pop. And I love to shop. Or uh, a park. You know, we go and let her play. But I'm also a real big Disney fan. So anytime I have like an extended weekend, that's what I want to do. Really? I just want to drive to Florida. Okay.
2: What do you like about this Walk me through Disney real quick. It's magical. Is
1: it? Yeah. <laughs> it's also real magical when you have your toddler yeah. who sees it all for the first time yeah. and sees, you know, Mickey and Minnie and she's
2: Princesses like, and all that. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. So I love it even more because she loves it, but I just love it. It just feels like you're in a totally different world.
2: Yeah. I go right to logic. Like my brain goes to like, God, I'm going to be waiting in lines. Yes. It's going to be so hot. I'm going to mm-hmm. be sweaty. Like, well, I don't think the of the food magic. The terrible. Yeah, I don't think of the magic. I think of, like, oh my, like all the processes in my brain. I'm like, it's good.
1: Yeah, that's um, how my husband is. Yeah. But, you know, he just obliges me. <laughs> <and> <laughs> we just go. My gift. Just doing bicep
0: <laughs> curls with <laughs> the stroller in the <laughs> block parking
2: lot.
1: I asked him for Christmas to get us annual passes. And so I've done the math. And as a military family, you get a discount on yeah. your tickets. So in order for it to be worth it for us, we've got to go at least five times next year. It so just we plan them out. Five, yeah. Yep. So we're gonna go, and then in my head, you know, it's free.
2: Yeah. Because we don't have to <laughs>
1: buy tickets. Because we've already got them. Girl, so, man. Yeah. That's girl, man. So you know, if we have a weekend where I don't have a Friday appointment, yeah. I don't have a Monday appointment, why not just drive Thursday night, get there? We don't have to pay for the tickets, so you may as well. Right. It's just like going to right. the beach. Yeah. Because it's you know you've already paid for it. It's free. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited. I, I'm so excited. We're going next week. Um, and then we're going again in February. My daughter is two. She turns three in March. And by the time her birthday comes, she will have been like six times. Oh
2: my goodness.
1: But it's so fun. I mean, I like the resorts too. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes the parks do get a little bit much, but the resorts are always fun because you can go to the pool and they have character dining and you can, you know, see your kid get all excited when he comes to her table. That's always fun to me, but I'm a a big kid in that way. I could walk around Disney all day.
2: What's your, like, how many days do you generally go, and, like, what's your go-to? Just Magic Kingdom, you got to throw that in there, right? Yeah,
1: I like to at least go for four days, and if I had to skip one park, it would be Animal Kingdom.
0: Really? Animal Kingdom? It's for two, it's for bigger kids, I think.
1: I think so. It's for bigger kids. I love Epcot. You know, they have all the different countries, so you get all the different food. I'm like, why would I go to England when I can go to Disney? Right. Basically there. <laughs> um, it's kind of delusional, but I love that. I love going to Ipcot. I like Magic Kingdom because there's more rides for her. Yeah, but I just love—I love to go and stay at all the different resorts because it's always interesting to see how they're themed. The last time we went, even though I don't like going to Animal Kingdom Park, we stayed at the Animal Kingdom Resort, and we sat on our balcony and we could see giraffes, yeah, that's and cool. all sorts of stuff, and that was really cool. So it was just—you nice. know—I don't feel like when I'm there, I have to worry about everything else. Mm. I think it's because my job is so stressful. Yeah, that it gives me. a Do
2: you love the movies look. too? Like you, big Disney movie fan.
1: No, I'm not a big movie fan at no all. No way. Yeah. I figured
2: you'd love the movies.
1: I just like the experience, but I'm not a big movie person. Oftentimes, we have this couple friend of ours. They're real big movie people. My husband, real big. And so they will say quotes. Yeah. You know, And I'm just like, I have no idea what And they'll say, have you seen so-and-so? And I'm like, no. And they're, how could you not have? It's a classic. Well, I don't know movies you work, you work a
0: lot it's my
1: yeah. um attention span too i would rather watch um a lot of episodes back to back versus one. Right. we just were finishing up suits yep so i've been so good real obsessed with that yeah
0: who's your favorite character on suits louis lit louis
1: really? yeah he's Every, hilarious what season are you on nine we're oh, almost done on. yeah yeah he is hilarious to me and i feel like he was Not treated very well by Harvey for a little bit there. My husband disagrees and says that he deserves it because he's (laughs) terrible. But um, I just have a soft spot when he cries a little bit, you know, and gets sad. It's like, Lou, I feel bad for you.
2: (laughs) Sweet Lou. (laughs)
0: Who's your your celebrity crush these days? Nobody. You don't have one?
1: No, but we did go to the Jonas Brothers concert recently, and I was like a 16-year-old. It was amazing.
2: Where were they? They Were they here? Yeah, here yeah, in Columbia.
0: Is there three of them now? They've yeah. got to be close to our age. How old are they? They're, are they're they? in their 30s. Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: I mean, old. I they were my first ever concert when I was like in middle school. And then I went again when I was in high school just for the fun of it. Tickets were like $20. So I went. Yeah. This time we got front row tickets. And I drug my husband there on our wedding anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> he was such a good sport. And it was so fun. <laughs>
0: He probably didn't look like the typical Jonas Brother. Identity. We <laughs> just
1: were, you know.
0: Massive guy standing <laughs> in the middle.
1: We were in the front seat, and it was just a bunch of girls and then him. And he sat down the entire time. Oh, and it, I yeah. said, you're not going to get up and join this. I'm ready to go home. But it was, I mean, that's love. You know, you're spending that's, your wedding anniversary at a Jonas Brothers yeah, concert. Right, yeah. It was great. <laughs> that,
0: so my last question for you is how... Do you have anybody who you think is a mover, shaker that we should meet or anybody that you want to give a shout out to? If you're talking to 40 people a day, I know you know tons of people. Oh, my
1: God. Um, Yeah. So there is a mortgage (laughs) lender out in Lexington that I love. Her name is Rebecca Barnhart. I encourage my clients to use her. She is also our personal mortgage lender, has done work for me several times And I think she's awesome. She's in her 20s like me. We met when we were both at the beginning stages of our career. And she says all the time that she had no idea how massive my business would get. And I tell her, well, aren't you glad you got on the train, you know, beforehand? (laughs) Because we work together a lot. I mean, we have probably closed seventy deals together, which is a good amount when you think about – you know, part of my business is sellers, so she has nothing to do with them. Some people go new construction, right. and they use that builder's lender. But a lot of my people who use, you know, just any random lender will use her. And so we formed a really good relationship. She's good at what she does. She's an expert, and I just trust her with everything. Yeah. And I would never personally use anybody else, and I think she's awesome. Um, and I like that she's local. Nice. Really knows the area, knows everything.
2: Is she, she with a bank? Is
1: nope, she's with Premier Nationwide Lending. Premier. Okay. She's really good. And she's fr- she's out of Charleston, but went here to USC. So cool.
2: Now, um, I guess, how do people find you? What would be the best way if they want to work with you? Um,
1: I would say um, Instagram is the most accessible way. I mean, obviously, you could text or email me, but I'm on Instagram all day long, and that is where you can learn a little bit more about me. My Instagram handle is it, and I sell everything. So I can say
0: anything. Great. T A L E Y dot S O L
1: D I T.
0: -T. Yep. All All right. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. This has been a blast.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it.